Well, this Good Friday, we just got an opportunity to pause and get stuck into and reflect on the cross and take a look at what it means. And really, that's the hope for this message is really just to take a deeper look at the cross and understand what it means, what it means for us. We are going to be focusing in on that cry of Jesus specifically, but to do this, we're going to look at three points, three things that I think will help us to really understand the cross. And the truth is, to really understand the cross, we need the backstory. We need to understand the road to the cross. And so that's our first point this evening, the road to the cross. You know, John Calvin, a famous uh, Christian author, famously said that in order to properly understand the cross, we need to know two things. We need to understand rightly ourselves and God, who we are in light of God. And so this, again, is the backstory. How did we get here to the cross in the first place, after all? Well, right back in the very beginning, before there was anything, the Bible teaches us there was God. God was in the beginning. And the great revelation that we discover in the Bible about God, that God is first and foremost a father. He is a father. And that helps us because we naturally understand some things about good fathers. We understand their strength. We understand the way they protect. We understand the way they nurture and they love. And particularly, they love their children. Uh, one of the shows that Charlotte and I like to watch, well, the truth be told, I like to watch it more than Charlotte, but is uh, 24 Hours in A&E. Uh, it's this reality TV show where they set up in various hospitals in the UK cameras that watch what unfolds over a 24-hour period uh, in accident and emergency in the UK in these different hospitals. And you really hear some beautiful stories. You really hear some tragic stories. And I remember just uh, this past week watching one story about an 11-month-year-old baby that was brought in to the hospital who was having a serious and prolonged seizure. This uh, child had been uh, going through the seizure for now for about an hour, which can be really life-threatening. And the grandma brings this child in, and the doctors are trying to help the child, giving them strong uh, pain uh, or drugs to stop the convulsions. And as a result, they're having to, to breathe for the child. And the parents come rushing in, and just, it will stick with me, is the, the eyes of this father as he stares down at his lifeless child who has someone breathing on its behalf. Staring at this child. You can see the panic in his eyes and the fear in his eyes as he knows or he doesn't know whether his child will ever be the same ever again. It's a picture of the love of a father. It's a picture of the care of a father and yet it is a dim shadow of the love of God that we read about in the Bible. You see, the Bible teaches that in the very beginning was God, a father who loves his son through his spirit. That is what God is, truly, is three in one. A father loving his son through the spirit. The greatest love that exists in the universe exists in God. God is love. God didn't need anything to satisfy him. He didn't need anyone to complete him. He was in fully satisfying relationship. 
You know, Jesus says uh, in John's gospel, he says, Father, you loved me before the foundation of the world. Eternal love exists between God and within God. Uh, Elsewhere, Jesus, as he gets baptized in Matthew's gospel, who we're looking at today, a voice from heaven cries out, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. A Father who loves His Son through the Spirit. You see, equally, God made the world and everything we see in the world for us to know and enjoy Him. You see, there's so much beauty in the world. One of uh, Charlotte and I's favorite things to do is to go up to uh, Baron Joey Head up at Palm Beach and do the walk up to the top where the lighthouse is. And last year, we did that uh, walk and went up to the top at the lookout. And at that lookout, you can see just the beautiful ocean and all spread around you. And last year, we went there on this beautiful day. There wasn't a, a single cloud in the sky and, and there wasn't a single puff of breeze at all. And we got up to the top and we were looking out and it was absolute silence. You couldn't even hear the waves. And then we looked over into the inlet uh, from the ocean over to the the side and we saw just a single whale playing in the inlet. Just amazing beauty. Amazing, spectacular world that we live in. And see, the teaching of the Bible is that because God is a father, he loves to make things. He loves to create And he created the world and everything we see, and he created it in perfection. It was flawless. And as the pinnacle, the high point of his creation, he created us. He created people. And he created us in his own image. He created us resembling him. Because he is a father with a son, he created the world with us to know and enjoy him, to be in relationship with him. He's the God who wants to know us because he is a father. But the world is broken. There's something incredibly wrong with the world and you don't need me to convince you. Just turn on the television. There's a world in pain. Bomb blast in Belgium civil war in Syria, refugee crisis, greed, famine, sex slavery, floods, corruption, earthquakes. You know, people guess that in the last hundred years, there's been about a hundred million violent deaths in this world. That's an average of 2,300 violent deaths every single day. Incredible pain. And the Bible says the cause of our suffering The root cause of it all is that we've rebelled against God. We've turned our back on Him. You see, in the beginning of the Bible, in the beginning of the story of the Bible, man rejects God. He turns his back on Him and God curses the ground and God curses relationships in the hope that somehow people would see the brokenness, people would see the pain, and they'd see their own brokenness as a result and turn back to Him. That was his plan. That was his hope. And as we read the Bible, this wickedness, this pain, it spirals and spirals. The first people, Adam and Eve, they turn their back on God. And then their children, Cain, murders his brother Abel. And then suddenly on the scene is this guy Lamech who abuses women and collects them as property and boasts of his wickedness. And it's a picture of a world that's a mess. A world that is in pain. But the problem isn't just out there. The problem isn't just brokenness out there. 
that people mess up. You know, if we're honest, the problem is in here as well. If we're honest, we're, we're not the people we should be. We're not the friends we should be. We're not the neighbors we should be. We're not the spouses we, we should be. We're, we're not. We're not the children we should be. Or the employees we should be. We're not the students we should be. We don't keep our own standards, let alone the standards of a holy God. And we've rejected Him. In the Bible, in Deuteronomy 6.5, we, we discover that our greatest problem is not just failing to keep our own standards, but rejecting God Himself. You see, the greatest command in the whole Bible is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That is the greatest commandment of all. And the truth is, it's our greatest failing of all. That we have lived for ourselves. We live for ourselves. We've rejected His rule as our maker and king. And the punishment decreed by our God is eternal death. In Ezekiel 18, chapter, uh, chapter 18, verse 4 God says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins is the one who will die. God says, Everyone belongs to me. I am the maker of all people. And you turn your back on me, the punishment is that you, you will die. But because he is just and we are guilty, we stand guilty, he just can't let us off for the punishment we deserve. You know, growing up, my dad was a, a crown prosecutor, which means he represents the crown or the queen, and I guess the government, in court for serious criminal offenses, things like murder and attempted murder and... Uh, armed robbery and break, enter, and steal and child sexual assault. And I used to go along sometimes with my dad to court and would see him as he prosecutes these different people. And could you imagine a situation where my dad runs a trial and at the end of the trial the judge says, of this offense, this serious offense such as child sexual assault, I find you guilty. Imagine the scene in the court as the judge pronounces the person guilty as charged. But then imagine the scene as it unfolds if the judge then said, though you're guilty, I'm just going to let you off this time. Off you go. Don't, just don't do it again, all right? There'd be public outcry. People would cry out demanding justice. That's injustice. It's not, it's not right. It's not fair. The guilty must be punished. 
And likely, likewise, what we see is that God is love. He is love. He is a Father who loves a Son through the Spirit. We're created to know and enjoy Him, and yet He is just. And He will not let the guilty go unpunished. And we are guilty. And we deserve the punishment of death. What is His solution? How can He solve this problem that He has? And the answer is, through Jesus. That's what we read in Mark 10.45. Jesus explains why He's come and what His purpose is. And He says, For even the Son of Man, that's even myself, even Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. I didn't come to be served. I'm not that kind of king. I came to serve. More than that, I came to give my life. For what? As a ransom. As a ransom. As a price to set someone held captive free. As a price to pay to set someone free who deserves punishment. He came for us. God's son was born to die. His mission was to go to the cross. So that's our first point, the road to the cross. Our second point now, which we can begin to unpack, is the cry from the cross. That cry that we've been reading, one of the most haunting of cries in all of Scripture. So let's return and let's open up our Bibles and read that cry one more time to, to, to savor it once more, what Jesus did for us. Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, the obvious question that we're forced to ask as we read this passage and think about it is why? Why did Jesus cry out like this? What was it all about? Well, there's four things I want to put to you this evening that Jesus is uh, explain what why Jesus is crying out like this on the cross. And the first of all, one of all is that he'd been abandoned completely. You see, Jesus went to the cross completely alone. You know, many of us or most of us in life have experienced some sort of rejection. I remember many, many years ago. Um, when I was a single man, I just often found myself getting rejected by um, different people or girls that I was interested in. But, but this pales, absolutely pales in comparison to the sort of rejection that Christ is going through in this moment. You see, Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest friends. betrayed him with a kiss, a sign of a friendship. He was handed over to people that intended to kill him. More, they took him on several trials, mock trials by his own people. Not only they mocked him, but, but they rejected him. They said, we don't want anything to do with you. Though he was God the Son, though he was their maker, they rejected 
him. And here's the kicker. Here's the worst of all. His closest friends all abandoned him. And so he went to the cross alone. No one came to his aid. Jesus actually in his cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is quoting a psalm, Psalm 22, 1. And he has this psalm in mind as he hangs on the cross. And midway through this, uh, this psalm in verse 6, here are words that surely the Savior was meditating on as he hung on that cross. The psalm goes, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. These were the thoughts going through the Savior's mind as he hung on the cross. He had been abandoned. But not only that, he was suffering physically. You see, he had been earlier by the Romans scourged with a cat of nine tails, a whip that had bits of uh, metal hooks, bits of pottery, uh, bits of steel embedded in it. It was designed to grip and rip. As they lay a blow onto your back, the hooks and bits of pottery would stick into the flesh, and as they whip it away, it would tear the skin from your back. And they would have probably flogged him the 40 times minus 1. 39 times slashed on his back. His flesh was, born, uh, was torn. He would have been a, a bleeding mess. But if that wasn't enough, he was taken into the hands of soldiers who not only mocked him and dressed him up as a king and with a little bent reed in his hand and a crown of thorns which they pressed into his flesh, and beat him, and beat him, and beat him. He was mocked. He was exhausted. He was in physical agony. And as he walks towards the cross, he is too weak to even carry it. And when he gets to the hill, they lay him down on the cross beam. And you can imagine as they take big, rusty nails, placing them over his wrists, and drive them through his wrists. They turn his ankles to the side and behind the Achilles tendon, between the bone and the tendon, they drive nails again and smash him into the crossbeam. His flesh is torn. He's in agony. And then they hoist him up into a hole they've prepared on the ground and he's naked and he's bleeding, and he's in agony. And as he, as he hangs just a few feet off the ground, people gather around and they spit at him, and they mock him, and he suffers, and he is weak, and he is dying, and he is in physical agony. And surely these verses from Psalm twenty-two sixteen would have been in his mind. Um, as he hung there on the cross, for dogs encompass me. 
a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. He suffers physical suffering in agony. But if we think this is the worst of his sufferings, we've missed it. We have missed the greatest of all his sufferings, and that is that he endured the wrath of God. You know, they crucified him about 9 o'clock in the morning. And by 12 p.m., the writer writes, Matthew writes, that the sun has disappeared in a miraculous event right in the, the middle of the day. And darkness descends over the whole land. You see, in the Old Testament, darkness was a symbol of God's anger. It was a symbol of, of his wrath, his judgment. His anger in this moment had been kindled because all the evil, all the wickedness of the world, all the wickedness in the history of the world, history past and history to come, he was pouring onto his son like a magnifying glass with a single ray focused in on the cross. He pours his anger and wrath on his son. It's the only time Jesus ever refers to his father as God. My God, not my father. Because as the Son, God the Son looks up at His Father in heaven, who from the beginning of time, He had been beloved with a million times greater love than the love of any father, God turns to pour His anger out upon His Son. You blasphemer. You adulterer. You thief, you liar, you abuser of animals, you abuser of children, you murderer of the innocent, you greedy banker, you corrupt politician, you worshiper of false gods, you are selfish, you are proud, you are faithless, you are heartless, you are ruthless. And the son screams in anguish as he hangs on the cross. Eli, Eli, lama sebekthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he hangs on the cross, suffering for us. Bearing God's anger for sin in his body. God curses him instead of us. As he had come as a ransom for many, he had come to die in our place so that we can come before the loving judge and be found not guilty. Jesus took my place. Jesus paid it all. More than that, welcomed by this father into his family simply by repenting and believing, changing your mind about who you're living for, changing your mind about living for yourself and putting your trust in Christ and all that he did for you on the cross. How good is that? Well, not just the road to the cross, not just the cry from the cross, but my third point, the crowd at the cross. 
And the reason why I thought to have this last point to end here is because it almost seems in Matthew, in this gospel, that as he tells the story of Jesus and paints the figure of this crowd and all these different people that are circling around the cross, he wants us to come and see them and to think, who am I in the crowd? Which person am I in this great crowd of people that have gathered around this cross? And the first person we meet in Matthew's account is Judas. Judas was one of the disciples who betrayed Jesus, as we mentioned before. One of Jesus' closest friends. You might be sitting here and thinking, Judas, no way, that's not me. Like, I'm no traitor. But what you might not be familiar with is the cause of Judas' betrayal. You see, Matthew writes in verse 3 of the chapter we read, that then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. You see, Judas had betrayed Jesus because he loved money more than Jesus. Judas had betrayed Jesus because his true love was his stuff. You know, earlier we read about this incident with one of Jesus' followers, Mary Magdalene, and she'd come with this expensive bottle of perfume to anoint Jesus' feet, and, and Judas takes offense. It's such a waste of money. Money that he could have had access to for himself. And so in the end, for a third of what Mary spent, he betrayed his Savior. You might be sitting here this morning and, or this evening and, and thinking about the cross. And as you think about the cross, you realize, you know what? I love my life. And I love my stuff. And Jesus is not for me. Well, in the crowd, you are Judas. The second person we meet at the cross is Pilate. And Pontius Pilate, you see, was the governor for about 10 years in Palestine, from about 26 AD to 36 AD. And he had a pretty troubled time, troubled reign, with three complaints made against him, we read in external sources. Complaints made to, to Caesar about him, complaints involving rioting under his rule. Pilate, we learn, is a level-headed kind of peacemaker who wants everyone to be happy. And he's convinced, actually, that Jesus is innocent, but he does not want another riot. And so three times he tries to keep everyone satisfied. Firstly, he whips Jesus, even though he knows he's innocent, trying to please everyone. Secondly, he offers to release Jesus in exchange for Barabbas, releasing Jesus, which is a good thing to do. Jesus is innocent, but for the wrong reasons, to try and make everyone happy. And thirdly, in verse 24 of our passage, chapter 27, we read this. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washing his hands before the crowd, he said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. See, he crucifies Jesus not because he believes that Jesus deserves it, 
but because he's afraid. He's afraid of people. He's afraid of a right. He's afraid of how that will affect his job security, and so he compromises. And maybe, just like Pilate, sitting here this evening, you see a king, and you think about the cost. And so you compromise because you're afraid. In the crowd, you are Pilate. The next group that we see in the crowd are the religious leaders. You see, Jesus had become really unpopular for quite some time with the religious leaders. They'd wanted him dead for ages. And you might be sitting here thinking, I'm not religious, so this is definitely not me. But Matthew gives us some insight into why the religious leaders had rejected Jesus. Matthew writes in verse 18, For he, that is Pilate, knew it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. You see, envy is the opposite side of the coin of pride. And you see, Jesus had claimed to have great authority. He had claimed to have spectacular authority. And he had gathered a great following. More than that, he had told the religious leaders how to live. And he had told them that he was really displeased with them. And the problem with this is that the religious leaders thought they were good. The religious leaders enjoyed their power. More than that, the religious leaders resented being told what to do. And they rejected Jesus. More, they were enraged by Jesus. Maybe you're sitting here this evening and you enjoy the way you're living. You think to yourself, not that bad. And so you resent Jesus' call for you to follow him. In the crowd, you're like the religious leaders. Not just that, we come across another figure, a fourth figure, Simon of Cyrene. He's a man from North Africa. He happens to be passing through. He's kind of an innocent bystander. And Jesus is so weak, he can't even carry the cross And so in verse 32, we read that they, that's the soldiers, compelled or forced this man to carry his cross. Maybe that's your story. That just like Simon of Cyrene, you've had the cross forced upon you. Maybe by your parents. Maybe from school. Maybe from church. And as a result, you think to yourself, I want Nothing to do with it. Well, you in the crowd are just like Simon of Cyrene. Next, we hear about some soldiers. There's this group of soldiers who are tasked with his execution. And Matthew writes in verse 35 that when they, as the soldiers, had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. For the soldiers, it's just another day at the office. They're rolling the dice, they're gambling at the foot of the cross, paying no attention whatsoever to what unfolds. And maybe that describes you. Maybe you identify with the soldiers. You've seen crosses everywhere, you've heard about Jesus, but you've never stopped to consider, could this be the king? You are like the soldiers in the crowd. So maybe you're sitting here 
and you identify with one of these five different groups of people. Maybe you identify with Judas, who loved his stuff, or Pilate, who's afraid of people, or religious leaders who are envious and resented being told what to do, or, or Simon, who had it forced upon him, or soldiers who never even noticed. Maybe you hear that and you think, that, that's just like me. You know, tonight I just want to thank you for coming. You have my deepest respect for coming. We would love to help you on your journey to get to know Jesus more. And, and so we have this uh, course that's coming up called Introducing Jesus. You'll see the, the signs here talking about a dinner. We do a dinner at the Blue Gum Hotel in Waitara where I talk for about 10 minutes, explain the course, talk about what it's all about and invite you to sign on up. Um, we have resources here for you if that is you and you'd like to know more. We have uh, there's two different sort of booklets. There's this one, Introducing Jesus, which is the course material. And uh, there's this other one, the Gospel of Mark, the gold one. So grab some of these. We'd love to help you on your journey to get to know Jesus. But most of all, just thank you so much for, for coming and joining us on, on Good Friday. But for others, for the rest of us, there's one last person we meet at the cross who I haven't mentioned yet. And we read about this person in verse 54. Matthew writes in verse 54, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe. And they said, truly this was the Son of God. A hardened soldier, the centurion, overseeing a hundred different soldiers. He'd been to many crucifixions, but this one was different. And when he saw how Jesus died, and when he saw all that took place in that moment, he said, this is him. This is the king. This is the son of God. And you, just like the centurion, can see that Jesus is the king and you're filled with awe. How would you respond? Maybe... You've been following Jesus for a long time. You've been like the centurion for many years. Well, we're going to give you a chance to respond by uh, a song that's coming up. We're going to give you lots of chances to just reflect and spend some time sitting at the cross. And I just want to encourage you, take your time and, and sit and reflect on all Christ has done for you on, on this Good Friday. But maybe you're sitting here and for the first time you can see that you're just like the centurion. You see Christ on the cross and you are truly filled with awe. Well, the message of the gospel is so simple. It's just repent and believe. Change your mind about who you've been living for and put your trust in Jesus. It's that easy. We'd love to help you We'd love to talk to you more about Come and talk to us. Come and talk to the person who, who brought you along. Uh, we would love to help you on your journey. Well, in closing, on the road to the cross, we see a loving father determined to save his people. In the cry from the cross, we see the son taking our place and bearing our punishment. And in the crowd at the cross, we're challenged to think about how we'll respond to the cross. Let's pray as the band comes up and closes for us. Lord, we just want to thank you tonight for your cross. 
we want to thank you that on that cross, you bore in full all the punishment for our wrongdoing. Everything we have done was borne by your son, the son who you loved so much. Lord, we will never fully understand what caused you to send your son, why you would send him for wretched sinners like us. And yet we want to cry out in thanks tonight. We want to thank you, Lord, for the price you paid. Lord, we love you. Help us to be faithfully sitting this evening at the foot of your cross. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.